Okay, so thank you very much for doing this. So what do you know about BFI female founders? Did we start with that? Nothing. Okay, shall I tell you? Yes. Okay, so it was set up with uh, Creative UK to support women mostly in the film, game, screen industries because they had identified how rubbish it is. Yes. Nice. <laughs> oh, very technical. Yeah. And it's uh, on the third year now. I was in year two. And there's a woman called Erica, um, I don't know if she, you know Lola Media, Erica Wolf Murray. But she's really all about trying to make SMEs in the space right. sort yes. of get yeah. more courageous and, and go for it. And also about really protecting IP. So that's, that's the downside yeah. of it. Yeah. So as a result, of the con- uh, we had our first conference last year and we thought we should just start a magazine because we just all need to do what we can towards it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then we thought of you. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because you obviously have had an eclectic career. Yeah. So do you want to start with where you started? Okay, well, I think one of the most sort of significant things is just the fact that I'm from Liverpool. My dad's one of 14 children with eight sisters, and in like three generations, I suppose, we went from my grandmother leaving school at 12, my mother leaving school at 14, me leaving school at 18, going to university, and then, if you like, actually being able to have a career that I dreamt about. And for me, that's a really significant thing to say, because you we couldn't be having that into this interview for 40 years ago with someone from that background. No, because I'm a woolly back and it was 6% of people went to uni. Okay, so you know... Yeah, so, grammar so, school and, girl. And, and although, of course, when you're growing up, you're not thinking about those histories at all. You just think yeah. about your dreams. Yeah. Um, now I look back and think, wow, you know, how lucky am I that people took girls' dreams seriously to an extent. Yeah. And my dream when I was little, right from when I was about six, was that I was so interested in people's stories and how to turn those stories outwards so that audiences could experience the stories. I couldn't then have said, well, I want to be a theatre director, but essentially, all my life, I have done the same thing. Collect up stories, fictional or non-fictional, and present them back out to an audience for thinking about. Um, so did you actually, what did you actually study at university? Drama. Drama. I, because I wanted to be a director. Right. So when I went to university at 18, I already knew I wanted to be a theatre director. I didn't know that I would get a response from the lecturers of, well, you know, there are no women's theatre directors. The the famous thing I often quote with Warren saying to me, there are three women theatre directors, Joan Knight, who's a lesbian, um, Joan Littlewood, who's retired, and Buzz Goodbody, who's just killed herself. Which would you like to be? That was the response from one of them. I think I'd go for lesbian. I, I just thought the idea, the, the, the notion that all of them were sort of disparaging ideas, yeah. I mean, that was, it, it yeah. itself was so repugnant. Yeah. But the, um, the sort of feeling of you're on your own, yeah. and also, like, kind of good luck, but we're not really with you, we haven't got your back, was, that was a really dismaying feeling. Did that come from men and women, or there were just no women there? Women. It came at from all? men. There were no women lecturers. Uh, it just came from men. And, you know, I was five foot two, northern girl, blonde. So there was also a kind of idea of, gosh, she's a little firecracker. You know, these phrases that people use, yeah. like they take your enthusiasm and they use words like vim, you know, or fiery or a little pocket rocket. I mean, there's all of these phrases, none of which I would use about myself, but they have, you know, they haunt women. 
there are plenty of other versions of all these things depending on the, the, your size and shape but essentially the kind of um, the objectification of you as a female mm. and therefore you know the intellectual basis of what you're trying to do and your sense of mm. you're building a new sense of the, you know what you think theatre is for and who's it for etc so um, it, it was hard to get that to be taken seriously from the point of view of being a director right and when did you first realize you were a feminist or did you not use that word I did use that word until about 19, I think, um, at university. And, in fact, that's actually what happened in reaction to... Well, really, it happened before that, because when I was about 14, we went comprehensive. And that meant that, you know, we were in mixed classrooms, which I hadn't been in since I was primary school, because I'd gone to a girls' school, it went comprehensive. Yeah. And then it was so immediately clear, like, all the female teachers retired all became deputies to the male teachers who in the school that we combined right. and immediately um, you were in like physics classes biology classes where people were saying well, there are, you know, men's brains are different from women's brains you, there was this, this binary idea was sort of emerging and I was retaliating against it even then I'm one of four daughters so in a sense you know I already had from my mum and dad a kind of sense that of course girls should be able to do everything I, th- I mean, the phrase feminist wasn't around. And then Jermaine Greer's book came out, I don't know, I think it was when I was at university. And I left some of the courses in my, in my degree. I, I opted out of them without permission and formed a kind of um, a, a women's theatre company, a street theatre company, um, and basically made my own work with women from my course and other parts of the university. Because I, I just thought, this isn't on, it isn't fair. So I, I always knew that this was an injustice. And I always knew that um, the only way I could sort of do what I wanted to do was just stick to my guns and my feelings and my ideas. But I think each time I got a pushback, I thought it would be the only pushback I got. I didn't see it as sort of systemic. Do you know what I mean? I felt, yeah. well here's somebody who doesn't support me or here's a group of people who don't support me and but when did you start to see it as more systemic that it was a societal problem not just a series of men making life difficult for you I think I I saw it as generally a male issue quite early on but I didn't understand the nature of you know patriarchy inside theology inside philosophy i mean i didn't investigate the canon and with all the plays i was studying i didn't investigate you know whether it be sing or yates or you know and look okay here's how the women are contextualized and placed etc it took me a long time to do that i think um but you were looking at women's stories though at that time yes. in the street theater and, and then later on in stories, mainstream yes. theaters. yeah and so that was the 70s, you know. Then, but my main dream wasn't to solve gender equity. My main dream was to solve equity. It was to kind of add in the stories of humanity to make the world more just. And particularly from my point of view, it was to tackle 
who the audiences were and whose stories mattered. So very early on at university when I kind of realised that the hierarchy of theatre was that you, know, you sort of started with the RSC, the National Government, because there at the time really, and then you kind of worked through West End, and then you find, like, found your way down to community theatre and TIE. That sort of idea of legitimacy, I, I began to piece together you know, the politics of who art is for, who's perceived to be a legitimate artist, what backgrounds you have to have, all of that thing. And so my political thrust as an artist was really always about reframing the context in which art happens and for whom it happens. It wasn't particularly a feminist agenda. It was really much more a a class agenda, you might say, class and education agenda. Equality agenda. Equality agenda. And my desire was to be allowed to get on with that so in other words to provoke situations for myself create situations for myself where I could realise the things I believed in and that tended to mean that I founded things like I founded Southern People's Theatre I founded the Battle of the Arts Centre I um, Westwich Playhouse didn't exist when I went so that I could actually build the context from scratch of what I really really believed in because you got most pushback when you went into a space that was already fully formed. Yeah. Where not only was your voice sort of like, well, it's inconvenient to do the things you want to do, but then that's when you most noticed as a woman it was inconvenient and you were a woman. Yeah. Whereas when you were in charge, <laughs> you, you obviously what you like. you didn't notice it as much because you were in charge. Yeah. Um, so, and we're now yeah. in the National Theatre, which opened in, I think, 1963, the year I was born. And well, I it, think it, it was in 20... That, that was at the, uh, at the Old Vic. This building didn't open until the 70s. And the first all-female play was recently. And I think the first written by a woman was 2012 you probably know better than me I don't actually but I mean the, the history of women's work at the National Theatre has been appalling yeah yeah why why is it that not just theatre <laughs> theatre film I mean we know every sector of society but we know how many women and the statistics are women that study the arts but why are they not given an opportunity or push themselves or whatever else it is and get into positions where they can make decisions, be seen more, be heard more, and have more power and say. Well, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a complete unvirtuous circle is the problem, which is that if you establish a world order which says that men are more important than women, in fact, if you like, men are the real humans and women are assisted humans, um, and you have everything symbolically from Michelangelo touching you know, those paintings like God and Adam, like, there's where creativity exists, then you're really saying that the divine right to creative understanding of humanity goes through a male. And that women have an experience of humanity, but it's essentially a woman's experience. So, you know, a lot of the things I have talked about in my career has been that people have spoken of things as if they are the human experience. What they mean is like the male experience, Hamlet being the most obvious. Quintessential human experience. No, quintessential adolescent male. Um, And uh, so, but that idea that that women didn't have the legitimacy to tell the human story, they could only tell the female story, and the female story of itself was not of interest to men, is the, the root of the problem. 
And so I think that lots of women have had the experience of going to you know, the, the, the male structures and saying, I want to do this, and then them saying, well, you're not really a legitimate artist, but we have got this female project maybe on the side, this theatre and education project, the community theatre yeah. project, the yeah. children's project, the youth yeah. project, yeah. etc. So the, the, everything that's happened in society in terms of what is considered to be hard, I don't just mean engineering, but a kind of muscular as opposed to soft, has a value to it, and that's applied in the arts too. So what do you think the solution is to this? Obviously you established where was that part of your solution, your offer? Yes, so when I was at the South Bank Centre, again, you know, I, I came to the South Bank Centre, obviously I didn't found it at all, but I was really, really interested in the history, the democratic history of art in terms of this, these huge gestures every so often that history has made, and obviously after the First and Second World War, the idea of the, sec of the South Bank Centre was that it was intended to be this incredibly e ecumenical space. You can see that from the architecture and the foyers and everything. And so I was really interested in how you could reshape that space for everybody. And first, you notice that no matter how many women you're employing, and as you, as you know, there's thousands of women in the arts, all underpaid. Um, the, most of the actual stories, whether it be, you know, Brahms being played by an orchestra or, you know, you know Mick Jagger, whatever it is, they, they're, they're male stories still. So you're enabling all kinds of things to happen, but you're still maintaining kind of structure of canon or, and, and bringing modern stories in. And, I've, and it was a time when... So it was 13 years ago I started WOW. Here I was, was probably one of the biggest jobs you can have as a woman in Europe. And no matter how many jobs I gave to women, we hadn't really solved the problem of legitimacy. And because feminism goes through sort of fashion, the, 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 the lad culture of the 80s had really undermined the idea of feminism a lot. And you had so many young women coming to me saying, I'm not a feminist. So it was a dirty word, really. And I just wanted to say, look, we are no, no way have we finished. And also it's, it's um, disrespectful to kind of discuss what like other nations might be doing. You know, people say, oh, it's different in Pakistan. No, it's the same all over the world. Same core values of a man's power and a woman's lesser power all over the world. It's just some societies acted out in different ways. That, so I really wanted to bring together girls and women of all ages and backgrounds, not just activists, not just lobbyists, politicians, but just you know the flotsam and jetsam of all of us, and say you must we must join the dots because you know it's one thing fighting for I don't know rights around domestic violence, but you know that same person you know needs to also solve issues that are completely different than that about childcare and people who, it was at a time as well when there was an awful lot of emphasis on women getting into top corporate positions which is fine but women also need to be paid for their domestic labour and unless you join all those people together then they're not on the same journey so and I wanted to celebrate everything that girls and women have done, which is amazing. I mean, if you think about filmmaking, just as an example, but besides being told what you couldn't do, shouldn't do, oughtn't to do, weren't appropriate, 
Women have done it anyway. Women have done everything. And the history books close over them, and it's you know awful in that respect. But we know that women have done these things. Mm. So the resilience, the tenacity, the imagination is phenomenal. We must keep celebrating that. And then that gives you the sort of stamina and the optimism to keep going. And we also have to stop being naive and think that just because we've kind of got there, that's it. Because all the human rights that women have won are totally conditional still. Because the basic script of, you know, I say theology, is that we're not equal. And that's a huge problem. And we know that the law is constantly having to be adjusted, but still is man-made. Um, so I started it as to do a one-year celebration of the 100th anniversary of International Women's Day. And then it was such a kind of wonderful, vigorous experience for me, as well as everybody else. I thought, oh, well, should we do it again? And then it started, like, just ricocheting. Somebody wanted to do it in Baltimore and in Australia and then in Egypt and then in Somalia. And, and it's, it's just grown. And so I've stayed with it because it's been as satisfying to think about how you can create this mosaic of real stories. It's just as satisfying as one fictional story that you grapple with. And I, you know, I also began to feel as if there was no one play, or no even a, 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 a series of plays, that would, could even touch the surface of what the complexity of women's experiences really were. And why is it so important that women's stories are heard? Because that is where human rights lie. I mean, if women's stories are perceived to be of less significance to men, women's rights are of less, of less significance than men's. And whereas we, I mean, it's, it, you, know, you can use a parallel with white, white people have put their stories in the middle and everybody else has been around the edges. And so, you know, everybody will tell you if they're a man or woman of colour or black, they will say, well, we spent years watching what you do. We know what you do. You just don't know what we do because you're not interested and it's not been relevant. So men haven't had to look at women's stories. They haven't had to find out what women are thinking and doing um, because they haven't thought it was essential or necessary. Whereas we've had to, not just because we're raising boys and living with men, but because actually it's dangerous not to know what men think and do. And also in order to move our careers forward, we have to negotiate their emotional space. Um, so to get equal rights, you have to have equal stories. And so it isn't just a question of it would be nice, wouldn't it, if more theatre did more plays by women. It's not really plays by women. It's plays about humanity that reflect humanity, which is obviously diverse. But a key issue is that 50% of humanity are made up of women. And what do you think you've achieved with work? Well, I think... It, I think we have contributed a lot, actually, to the confidence of kind of revig reinvigoration of the language of feminism in this country. Um, it's a lot more confident. I mean, we're not the only people, but like, I think for having the kind of spirit of saying, we're talking about this, we're talking about it in every single way, gave people a sense that, okay, this is on the agenda again, and it's fun. Um, and it's... it's lots of offshoots, people have formed lots of organisations as a result of, we and Women's Equality Party started because of WOW, um, all kinds of projects on FGM, I mean loads of things began and you know even if they can't all remember the origins, a lot of them did begin because of this sort of thing. And what have you personally achieved? Or is that you? What do you mean? Is WOW you? 
Oh, is WOW me? Well, it isn't me anymore, is it? I mean, WOW is more than me because it's in lots of countries run by lots of other women. It's all connected up. And I'm still very much part of this. And of course, I, it, it is my creative project, it is Rena. Mm. I mean, I suppose, you know, is it my version of doing um, Mamma Mia? <laughs> <laughs> you know, first of all, Mamma Mia, and, and it's all over the world. And I've done wow, and it's all over the world. I mean, I'm not kind of quite equating them, but in a sense, it was the project I committed my to, myself to as an artist to make something that was a celebration of multiple women's stories. And I am proud of it. And I do think it's had an impact, and yeah, and 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 I've felt a cr it it's built my you know what have I got from it? Well, a huge understanding of the complexity of the lives of women, and also a kind of connection into women who I wouldn't have had in my friendship group automatically. I wouldn't have known how to do that. Whereas, of course, it's been incredibly important to me that my friendship group is women of all ages, all background, trans, non-binary, everybody, because I have to not be the problem. You know, I can't be... I'm not saying I'm the solution. I'm not saying why I was the solution. But it has to be on the side of solutions. It can't be vested into other problems. So one last thing. If for women that are struggling out there in the cultural industries, whatever age whatever background yeah. of feeling unseen or unheard what's yeah. your advice well get together with other people all the time because one of the problems about feeling um, undermined and also we always all have that kind of <laughs> imposter syndrome when we feel foolish very quickly you know you have if, if you can find one bit of courage it would be to stay or start networks and not for kind of, you know, I need a full address book, but you have to have friendships that will keep you going, buoyant, you know, share your experiences. I would really also say that some of the experiences that we are told are almost delegitimizing you, like, you know, like having children, like being out of work, like all of those sorts of things, like being a grandmother, like growing older. They are the stories that you can draw on. And Although lots of people in the creative industries aren't per se writers, you know, we, we know that what you have to make is things you understand. So don't devalue your experience by wishing you were somebody else, I suppose. I think that's it. Is there right. anything else? Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you so much.